1: goal here is to create workplaces where it doesn't happen in the first place because sexual harassment is like a symptom of a toxic broken workplace in the first place and none of us should have to endure that to pursue our careers or to put food on the table for our kids so you know our other goal at time's up is to really work for safe fair and dignified work for everyone
0: Hello and welcome to another episode of In The Envelope, a very special episode. Listen, listener. This podcast is very much dedicated to illuminating the path through the entertainment industry, the many paths through the entertainment industry. And Backstage has always been dedicated to providing opportunities to artists, particularly actors. And so that is why we've finally put together this episode that is geared toward talking about parity and safety in Hollywood and beyond. So we are featuring, we are highlighting Time's Up Now. I'm going to read from their website here just to give anyone who's not familiar with them a little bit of background. Quote, by helping change culture, companies, and laws, Time's Up Now aims to create a society free of gender-based discrimination in the workplace and beyond. We want every person across race, ethnicity, religion, sexuality, gender identity, and income level, to be safe on the job and have equal opportunity for economic success and security. Where does that overlap with Backstage? We are just as dedicated to economic success and security and being able to follow one's dreams. Being able to follow one's dreams means doing that in a safe, secure environment. So I brought in an expert today on all of this and more, Tina Chen, who since 2019 has been the president and CEO of Time's Up Now and the Time's Up Foundation. Tina co-founded back in 2017, the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund, which has actually been mentioned on this podcast before in our Natalie Portman episode. Time's Up very much burst onto the scene in 2018, announced on January 1st, 2018, in the New York Times, in the wake of the many allegations that came forward about Harvey Weinstein's abuses of power. And then it was much publicized on the red carpet of the Golden Globes of 2018, when all of these actresses and activists showed up at the ceremony wearing all black and bringing as their dates the various leaders of various organizations. It was very much a moment of solidarity and it very much centered this, this movement towards, again, safety and parody in Hollywood. You know, Hollywood is loud, <laughs> it's a big visual medium, it's a big storytelling, you know, narrative factory. And when big name actresses stand up and say, time is up on men abusing their power, on people abusing their power in the workplace, in any workplace, people pay attention. So that's what uh, Tina and I got into with this interview. Just to provide a little bit more background on her, she does go into her insane resume in this interview. But uh, Tina Chen was hired by President Barack Obama and was Chief of Staff to First Lady Michelle Obama and is an award-winning lawyer. I'm so excited, I'm so honored to speak with her today. This interview covers everything. It covers everything holistically, I would say, because everything that we discuss is connected workplace abuse is connected to the gender pay gap, is connected to racism in Hollywood and beyond. We spoke about this year's Golden Globes and Time's Up's new initiative, which is called hashtag Time's Up Globes. Lots to talk about with diversity and inclusion there. And uh, we spoke about the recent allegations that are very reminiscent of what happened with Harvey Weinstein, but in a different way, with Scott Rudin, the noted Broadway producer who has had many allegations come out against him. This is an ongoing conversation. This is an ongoing fight for equity in the workplace, for opportunity, for the diversity and inclusion that so many people say they want, and maybe they do want, but have trouble putting that into action. So. Listen to this interview to hear Tina explain how to put such steps into action. And then do stick around for a chat with Backstage Casting Insider, Christine McKenna Torella, who then connects the dots from all of everything I'm talking about to Backstage, what you as a Backstage user, as just a listener of this podcast, can do. There are so many resources available to promote safety in the workplace. Again, whether that's in Hollywood or beyond, we will be providing. Many of them in the episode description and in the article that goes with this episode. But for now, let's get straight to this wonderful interview with Tina Chen on all things Time's Up. Tina Chen, thank you so much for joining us on Backstages in the Envelope. How are you today?
1: I'm great and glad to be here.
0: Um, yeah, is we should always refer to you as Tina, just to just to clarify, right? You are you are Christina, but we can just say Tina.
1: I am Christina, but other than my mother and being in court when I was a practicing lawyer, I am otherwise Tina. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, that's great. Um, well, great. I'm Jack. I'm with Backstage, and um, I have so many questions for you. I'm so excited for, to talk to you today. Um, let's just acknowledge that it's the day after the Oscars, first of all. that that we're airing this right afterward. Did you watch? What did you think? Are you a a frequent awards
1: watcher? Well, um, I confess I'm a fan. So, yes, I have always been kind of a frequent awards watcher, um, but sort of more so now, obviously, in my job at Time's Up. Um, So, yes, I did watch. And, you know, it was an exciting year overall, even as kind of crazy a year as it was for you know, movie makers and, you know, there was no such thing as movie going. It was like movie whatever, right? Movie, yeah. mo- movie streaming, um, but, but, um, but a really exciting year for, you know, diverse voices, I think, and, and women. And, you know, it, it's kind of just a window on the possibilities to come, I think. Mm, I love that.
0: Yeah, there were glimpses of, of that, that window for sure the second ever woman and first woman of color to win the Oscar for best directing. Amazing. Probably the most obvious. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, So for listeners who are, we've never done a podcast episode like this. So I'm, I'm, I'm again, I'm so excited to talk to you today. I would love to ask about all things times up and times up resources as, as it pertains to all of the work, but in particular to Hollywood and maybe it's, you know, it's helpful to talk about the safety aspects of things, and then the parity aspects of things, which, as we know, are very intertwined. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, but first of all, so how did you tell us a little bit about your background and the, and the forming of Time's Up now, the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund, and your involvement, and yeah. your role?
1: Well, so, you know, my personal background is I'm a lawyer by training and and most of my career. So I spent two decades actually as a corporate litigator working for one of the largest law firms in the world um, based here in Chicago, which is where I am right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, but always from, you know, a relatively early start to my career did a lot of work on gender equity issues, going back to my first job at a college, which was working for state government in Illinois. But during a time period where the state capital where I was living was the hotbed of American feminism, because we were trying to get the Equal Rights Amendment passed. And, Ah, you know, it just was a happy, you know, just luck of the draw of living in the right place at the right time, Mm. um, where that just became my learning ground and instilled in me, I think, this sort of lifelong commitment to gender equity issues. Mm-hmm. So even when I was a corporate lawyer, you know, I was doing a lot of what I used to call my extracurricular activities, right, yeah. on gender equity issues, on democratic politics, and which is, you know, for those of folks who don't know Chicago, you know, po- politics in Chicago is like a full-on context sport <laughs> here. And when you're <laughs> in it, it, you know, it's like your entire, you know, it's, 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 it's more fun than golfing or gardening or doing anything else. And so none of which I did. So so politics was my hobby and um, got to know some young politicians in their day, including one particular guy who went on to became, become a U.S. senator and then president of the United States and was always active in his campaigns. So when he did become president of the United States, he asked me to go to the White House. So I spent all eight years in the Obama White House. um. And uh, for, you know, first running the Office of Public Engagement, and then as Mrs. Obama's Chief of Staff, and all eight years as Executive Director of the White House Council on Women and Girls. Mm-hmm. So when I came out of the White House, I went back to practice, but I was doing a legal practice helping companies actually address the issues of working families, because I had learned from my work in the White House that a lot of companies had come to the realization that diversity was good for them good for the bottom line, good for the war for talent that they were in and wanted to do better, but didn't know how. So I was starting a practice to do that, which leads us to the Time's Up moment. Because again, right place, right moment. Um, Yeah, I started that practice about three weeks before the first Harvey Weinstein article appeared. And then about a week after the first Harvey Weinstein article appeared, I happened to be in Los Angeles for something else. Seeing, you know, lots of you know, some friends from Hollywood that I had made during the Obama years and got pulled into a meeting by Michelle Kidley at CAA, who said, You need to hear what's going on. And that is the moment when really just organically these you know, women of Hollywood who previously to the reporting in the New York Times and the New Yorker had really mm-hmm. thought they were all alone because mm-hmm. that's actually kind of the way the predators kept in, you know, kept doing what they were doing because they just had these tools to keep everybody silent. So no one knew that there were others like them and everyone was afraid to speak out. You know, that reporting just broke the damn loose. And all of a sudden there were women throughout Hollywood coming together to support one another really Mm -hmm. in the beginning. And then very quickly turning that pain into action, you know, wanting to do something about it to stop it. And then always to their credit, I, I, say they wanted to do it not just for themselves in the entertainment industry, recognizing that they had platforms to and, and and resources. Um, but to do something that would reach farmworker women and hotel housekeeping people and you know grocery store clerks, so you know that's where we came up with the idea. Sort of being a lawyer sitting in these rooms watching what would what was about to unfold, we mm-hmm. came up with the idea of let's create a legal defense fund because that's what you really need. You needed lawyers to help low wage women actually pursue claims for sexual harassment, and mm-hmm. you needed. Lawyers and a defense fund to help support women when they did speak out, and powerful men would sue them for defamation, which is one of the things that used to be used to silence women, you know, to keep that from stopping. So that's how we put it together really fast. Remember, this reporting happened, Jack, right in October of 2017. Oh, yeah. And we launched right on January 1 with the, you know, full page ad in the New York Times. And um, there's not a lot of time in between then. so putting together this kind of legal defense one that had never been done before. I approached the National Women's Law Center, which is a well-established, you know, um, women's legal rights organization, because we needed an established organization to run this with legal experts to help put this together, and they agreed, which was, you know, an unprecedented thing to do. And I give you know, Fatima Gus Graves, their presidency, a lot of credit for taking a leap with us. Um, so we launched it. We, you know, famously raised 24 million dollars. It was the biggest GoFundMe campaign up until that date. 100% of the 24 million went to the Legal Defense Fund, and we are still using it to support mm-hmm. folks. Um, and but then after, in the ensuing months, we sort of realized there's more to be done. And we need to not just do the legal defense fund, but we need to do advocacy work. And we need to be working industries in the entertainment industry elsewhere. There was a lot of organic activity in places like healthcare and advertising um, and where similar groups were forming. And so, you know, we put that together now. I'm like just involved as a volunteer and an advisor all during this time, Jack, you know? Yeah, totally. Until November of 2019, right? Yeah, so yeah. that was when, you know, my arm got twisted my butt by my friends, um, fellow, <laughs> fellow colleagues on the board to take the job full time, you know, leave my law practice and come on board as a full time president and CEO in November of 2019.
0: It's so cool to hear. And I love this idea that the extracurriculars become the, uh, the main curricula for you. <laughs> right, right. And it's, all, it's proof also that it's all connected, women and girls, um, working families, safety, parity, all of it. Um, it's also just fascinating, of course, from my perspective, I remember that award season, it was an extraordinary award season and kicking that off as usual, the golden globes are what kicks it off. And there was this extraordinary ceremony where all, where all of the actresses wore black and spoke, uh, about being in solidarity with, with women really just the biggest, broadest umbrella term there. But, um, why do you think it was entertainment? Like why is it because the Globes were that big glamorous flashy opportunity with these big name actresses and actors. Um, Is that why it caught fire and was able to, this could have easily all just been focused on the entertainment industry and it has become so much more.
1: Yeah, now, so it's a few things, I mean, you know, it's not like we haven't had moments uh, around sexual harassment, right? If you think back, right, there have been moments where we've had national um, attention on the issue, right? So going back to um, Anita Hill, right? So think about that. So, you know, I think, and, and I think Anita Hill's moment testifying on Clarence Thomas's nomination to the Supreme Court was maybe one of the first times where there was a public consciousness and awareness of, what the term sexual harassment is and what is that about. But, you know, that was, you know, what, you know, almost 30 years ago now. And happened in a moment, I think, where as eloquent as Anita Hill was in explaining, we didn't know her, right? You didn't really know who she was. Okay. And if, if her story resonated with you, What would you do back then? Right. You would tell 10 of your friends and that's it. Like there's no Internet. There's barely even email. You know, there's you know, there's Internet, but there's no social media. Right. There's no Twitter. There's nothing. So, you know, when it happened then um, in 2017, I think you did have women who average Americans knew. Right. Yeah. So, you know, when you had an Ashley Judd speak out about her experience, look, you know, I come to this, as I said at the beginning, I'm a fan, right? You know, we all think we're girlfriends of Ashley Judd because we watch her movies and we're following her social media, Relatable. except that yeah. we're not. But so when someone like that said something, right, or Lopita or, you know, go down the list of these incredibly yeah. courageous women who did speak out and risking their own careers, right, um, to do so. Um, I think it did resonate with people who may have had their own experience and related to them, and then you had the opportunity on social media, and you had you know Tarana Burke's brilliant hashtag Me Too that that uh, you know sort of used to become this megaphone. And mm-hmm. now all of a sudden, instead of just telling your 10 friends and it stopped, you could post it on hashtag me to thousands of people, like hundreds of thousands of people saw it mm-hmm. right away were inspired themselves. And this community of survivors came together, which only the social media can create. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, demonstrated to everyone how pervasive this was. It wasn't just an entertainment problem. This wasn't just that casting couch problem. This was... Mm-hmm happening in grocery stores and it was happening in restaurants, it was happening in people's homes if you were a home healthcare worker, right? Um, It was happening in government, in the judiciary. I mean, you know, go down the list of every industry in which it was happening. We got to see that live and that I think inspired and really gave life to this really sweeping movement. That's only grown since, surely. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and how great that the infrastructure was there ahead of the 2020 pandemic. I mean, what, what has been yeah. their work and the organization's work within the last year or so?
1: Well, you know, um, I will well. say the, one of the things we learned, you know, um, is we are speaking out about survivor justice. So we know yeah. that in the pandemic, yeah. um, sexual harassment doesn't go away because you're working remote. Right. So, you know, it happens on Zoom um, and in some ways it's actually gotten worse. We did a study um, last December together with One Fair Wage studying what happened in the pandemic for restaurant workers as things were opening up or they were coming back. And we found, you know, overwhelming numbers of restaurant workers telling us stories about how. The pandemic had increased the harassment they experienced. You know, people saying things like "pull your mask down," so you know, I you know know whether I how much to tip you, right? Or even more vulgar kinds yeah. of terms, like that. Um, so we, you know, we 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 need to keep the issues of sexual harassment and survivor justice alive. But the other piece that we've been working on, and we've been really accelerating this work since I came on board um, as the full time CEO, is that. We also wanted to work for a world where sexual harassment doesn't happen in the first place, right? You know, we can keep trying to pick up the pieces afterwards, but the real goal here is to create workplaces where it doesn't happen in the first place because sexual harassment is like a symptom of a toxic, broken workplace in the first place. And none of us should have to endure that, right? To pursue our careers or to put food on the table for our kids. So, you know, our other goal at Time's Up is to really work for safe, fair, and dignified work for everyone. So, that really means attacking, like you said at the beginning, those issues of parity that we have to talk about. Because if you have, you know, representation of not just women, but LGBTQIA and people of color and disabled workers up and down the wage scale, that means you've got a healthy workforce and it's inclusive and it's respectful of everyone. So, we want to work for that. And the pandemic, has really made this even more urgent because one of the things we're seeing right now is how disproportionately the pandemic has fallen on people of color especially women of color and how you know even as we're in this recovery period women are getting excluded you know we know that you know nearly 2 million women have left the workforce in the last year plus um and a big reason why they're leaving the workforce is what we've seen with schools out and people needing care and um, they can't balance this, you know, the demands of their families and the needs that they have with the demands of work. And so they're opting out and they are staying home. And, you know, this is not going to help not just their families and their, their individual careers. It's not good for our whole economy. You know, we lose, you know, trillions of dollars of potential, you know, um, uh, GDP growth from it. And it doesn't benefit, you know, our just broader diversity and, you know, just to zero back to the entertainment industry, you just think if we lose that creative, you know, diversity, um, and the voices and the storytelling and the, and the talent, um, you know, it, it, it will not serve any of us.
0: Yeah. And I, I, um, we, we, always come back to, it's been said on this podcast, like Hollywood is, for better or for worse, a reflection of the country. And I love your point that it is about addressing the cause rather than the symptom. And you can set up a support system as much as you want for the symptom, but if there's one thing this pandemic has taught us is that we have systemic issues that need, deep, deep systemic issues that need addressing in order to overcome problems of any size. Absolutely, absolutely. How else, this is such a big question, but how else are safety and parity intertwined for you in the entertainment industry? Because I think that's a point that listeners of this podcast need to hear. A lot of well, listeners of this podcast are early career artists, you know, navigating this, this industry.
1: Yeah, well, look, you know, safety, they're intertwined because, you know, unsafe workplaces and especially in the entertainment space, is what has, you know, led to a lot of the lack of parity that we see, you know, um, especially as you move up the ranks, right, whether, you know, as you move to more senior roles, as you move to different kinds of uh, leadership positions, you know, you start to lose people along the way, and a lot of the ways in which and you can see it in some of the stories that, you know, we're told in the wake of the Harvey Weinsteins or, you know, go down the list of the other uh, 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 other folks, you know, in the entertainment industry, because, you know, these are, you know, women and men, you know, who experience, you know, terrible violations and then just leave, you know, leave, 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 leave the, the industry, we lose their talent, um, or they're stymied in some way, or they're not able to really give voice to themselves. Even if they stick around, you know, they're not able to really show up with their whole selves. Um, yeah. And you know, so you know, all of these issues are completely intertwined. Safety you know, pay equity, you know, mm-hmm. caregiving, you know, the structural barriers to keeping people from succeeding in the workplace, all of those things need to be addressed in order to really reach those kinds of parity goals that we have for full representation. And, you know, one of the mistakes I think that we've made in the past is to see everything separately and siloed and try to deal with yeah. them separately, yeah. you know, and not see the, 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 interconnections. But I do want to, because this is a young audience, is to know one of the things we wanted to do with Time's Up was to actually provide resources, and the entertainment industry is the place we've done the best job at it. Mm. So, you know, we have, and people can get them on our website, timesupnow.org. You know, really, you know, practical guides to things like knowing your rights in auditions and knowing your rights with nude and intimate scenes. You know, what does a nudity writer look like? Um, What's your right to report and how would you report an incident? Um, We've got those guides available for folks to use. There are a lot of employers like Bad Robot and CAA and some others that have adopted them as guides for how they're going to operate. But even if you're not working for somebody like that, you can take that in and say, this is what the Time's Up guide says, You know, we should be doing and, or this is the kind of contract term I should be looking at if you're asking me to do a need scene. Um, and hopefully that will be useful to folks.
0: And in terms of individual actions we can all take, we can also at any time donate to the Legal Defense Fund and to Time's Up Foundation itself. Is yes.
1: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So you know, on on the page there are you know donate buttons to donate. Um, so our work at Times Up Foundation is to do this kind of advocacy and research work. Um, but there's also ways to donate um, directly to the Times Up Legal Defense Fund, and you can designate that if you want to support the the actual specific legal cases. You know, we you know have maintained. Um, the National Women's Law Center as the administrator of the Legal Defense Fund because we want to keep our advocacy work separate from the individual case decisions to really you know make sure that survivor confidentiality is respected and their individual decision making is respected. Um, but at times up, we still you know um, do the fundraising for the Times of Legal Defense Fund. and it's a you know obviously our first and our most important initiative. Wonderful.
0: Yeah, this is all really great to hear, um, especially because of Backstage's. You know, Backstage's mission overlaps a lot here in terms of we we want to fight for. We're all about empowering artists, uh, specifically usually actors, and and creating equitable opportunities. Uh, and again, those things are, are all very intertwined. Um, what can we at Backstage conti- do and continue to do? like this is maybe more of a selfish question, but like we have, on the editorial team are very, very committed to not just featuring straight white men, for example, on our covers or in our or on our podcast. Um, and we of course provide similar evergreen guides to uh, how to navigate nudity or how to be safe in an audition. We have our casting department checking for scams. Audition scams are mm. a thing. Yeah. Of course. And I do think that as, as as we go and as time's up has become such a force that those have become more and more rare. But um, what is your advice for us? Like, what else do you think that we should be doing?
1: <laughs> well, I love what you're doing. And I'm so glad, you know, that we have worked together, you know, on so many things. But I still, you know, think there's so much more to do. You know, there are um, things like looking at, you know, not just the, front of camera issues, but, you know, in the back of camera, sort of what's happening in editing rooms, right? What's happening in animation rooms where, you know, that's happening late at night, what's, you know, happening um, on the you know, on, on the road, right? When you're on location and you're separated from folks or, sure. and, and, and there are things that, that can go on and making sure that people are empowered and have a voice um, and that we're telling those stories. Um, I also think, you know, op- creating opportunities for diverse voices, you know, at backstage, right? You know, not just the stories about, but who's, who, who's doing the reporting and the writing. Mm-hmm. We have a, a project at Time's Up called Critical, where one of the things that we know is it makes a difference who the critics are on what succeeds too, right? Yeah. So, and overwhelmingly before we started the critical project, you know, you know, the reviewers on Rotten Tomatoes, the reviewers certainly in yeah. mainstream press were overwhelmingly white male. So we have a critical database that now is a database of diverse, you know, experienced, you know, critics, film critics, you know and um, we make that available so that, you know, A, you know, people who are looking for someone to write will find a place and B that we can make sure, you know, when the world comes back and we're doing film festivals again, you know, we had the major film festivals commit to making sure they would give credentials to folks who, you know, were part of critical and so they could diversify. You know who is who are the journalists standing on the red carpet to get those interviews? Who are the folks who are getting screeners who can do you know write about this? Um, and that has a ripple effect. So it's not only about the careers of those critics, but that different viewpoint has an effect on. When are, what, you know, when a film like, you know, Minari is, is, is reviewed, right? You know, sure. what, are, what you know, what, what is, what, what do people say about that and how does it get received? And so many projects like that, that are from diverse creators or diverse stories, you need to have them reviewed, not just for a white male perspective, right? You know, they need to be reviewed across the board. Um, so there's, you know, projects like that to really think about the different ways in which how, you know, we operate how backstage, the stories that you tell, the way that you operate as backstage, you know, can help really constantly think about how do we do this in a way that's inclusive and diverse. I mean, and some of that being intentional about every aspect of your business for everyone is is really the key. That's like the underlying thread, I think, through all of this. Yeah. And it's um it really makes me
0: think, especially just looking at just for the, the critical. Angle, um, how much has changed in, in four or five years? Four or five years ago, that was not even a part of the conversation. Right. So part of it is just to continue saying things and having the conversation. And like um, Time's Up Twitter is such a perfect, it's so great. It's such a wonderful example of how to uplift fellow organizations or fellow voices. It's entertainment, it's politics, it's everything. Um, I definitely think continuing to have that conversation, I love this idea of like uh, in front of the camera, behind the camera, but also then behind the person who is writing the article and choosing what to cover and all of that. And maybe this is where it takes us back to like awards. So I know another another recent effort of Time's Up is called Time's Up Globes, (laughs) which is really a full circle moment because- It is. The Globes launched so much of this. So, I mean, first of all, what is Time's Up Globes and what is the
1: latest? When we launched on the Globes red carpet back in January, 2018, that was not a Hollywood Foreign Press Association initiative, by the way. We oh, sort no. of hijacked the award ceremony, oh, right?
0: It happened to be the ceremony that was next. And it, so. was, it
1: happened to be the ceremony that was next. And so we just decided, you know, okay. on our own, you know, this incredible group of actresses who got really organized to call each other and say, all right, everybody's wearing black. We're going to run out and get these pins made and get everybody pins. And oh, cool. there was a huge effort around the pins. <laughs> so, yeah. um, uh. And so yes, but because it was just that next that that first award show right after our New York Times launch, and um, but the full circle is that, and I think is many in Hollywood have followed for years. Some did not, but you know on our website, if you go to it, you know you will be able to see we've collected the just article after article and reporting going back several years about problems with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which is the organization that puts on the Globes, you know, that does the voting and makes the decisions around the award um, and how it has operated for many years as a very exclusive, really, Jack, it's an exclusive private club, <laughs> right? It's a it's so it's small. 80, 87 people yeah. who decide themselves who they want to admit. Um, yeah. They Even people who meet their kind of odd criteria for, you know, don't even get admitted if they are viewed as a competitor to somebody else, you know, inside the group. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I have said, you know, we, none of us would really care about the operations of a small exclusive private club, except for the fact that they give away the Golden Globes Award and it is the Gateway Award to the rest of award season, right? It happens before Oscar nominations are even determined. So it has become the award that signals to the rest of the industry what are the hot movies this year, who are the actors to recognize. And but now we know, and the LA Times did a piece just before this year's awards um, that really, re- you know, showed that they do not have a black, a single black member of 87, and they have not had any black members going back as far as 20 years. Um, and in this day and age and five years after Oscar so white for that to be the case yeah. makes no sense. And so, you know, we called that out in by thumbs up in the lead up to the Globes. But we signaled that that was just one hmm. piece of evidence demonstrating that this is fundamentally a broken organization and system Um, because, you know, for years, there have been concerns about they, you know, not having ethical rules that they operate by and not even applying fairly their own bylaws to issues. You know, the way, you know, nominations are made, you know, the way that decisions are made, you know, the the current one that of an example of how it operates is, you know, Minari, which is an American film about a, you know, Korean American family in, in Kansas, Um, won a gold, but in the foreign language category, which apparently according to their rules is for films that are 50% in another language. However, they have not consistently applied that rule. They applied it to Minari, they applied it last year, right, you know, to Farewell, you know, which is again, an Asian American film, Mm -hmm. did not apply it to Inglorious Bastards, which was 50% in German, right? Okay. But OG, they didn't apply it to that one, except that they apply it to the Asian American films, which just perpetuates that racism and sense of Asian Americans being othered, even if you're Asian American. And I've said there's a straight line between that kind of attitude and the culture that a cultural icon like the Golden Globe signals to the rest of us that leads you straight to Atlanta and the shooting and the othering of Asian Absolutely. Americans. Right, it's so awesome. this is fundamentally a problem at the, at the Golden Globes and HFPA, we actually issued so the HFPA's response was they were going to change and they'd heard, um, we then said, okay, if you have here's a list of recommendations we would suggest to you which we put out publicly. Cool. Um, uh, they, um, they, um, they haven't really sat down to talk to us about it. We did have a conversation last week with their advisors um, where we were very clear at the problems in the long-standing, you know, racist and sexist way we've seen them operate, um, mm-hmm. and they have their own self-appointed deadline of May sixth, which is when they told the world that they would have their new reforms, and we're kind of waiting to see. I mean, May 6th is coming up fast, and we will see whether they have. But. I I think, Jack, nothing short of really fundamental change here, right? Really just the way this is operated will be satisfactory in this day and age, right? Like, you know, you can see the progress. Uh, You know, the Motion Picture Academy deserves a lot of credit. It's been five years. They've worked really hard. They've made incredible progress. You can see the diversity of voices that were recognized, you know, um, last night. um, Mm -hmm. In this day and age with the racial reckoning that we're seeing in this country, you know, we really can't have an award that is the gateway award, you know, in this critical industry to our culture, be one where the decisions are made by an insular, small group of not diverse, you know, not accountable um, people. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: And you've definitely just covered this a bit. But what I mean, what is your view on awards in general? Because and we've spoken about this on this podcast too, there's a bit of a chicken and egg situation where is it Hollywood's fault for not producing films in the first place that are diverse or is it the award show's fault for not recognizing them? And regardless, I think it's a very good point that an individual person such as myself can say, well, forget about the Globes. Let's give them no weight. But the fact of the matter is they have weight. (laughs) Like... What is your view on awards? Like what is their, what is their role? How much of that chicken and egg scenario is their responsibility?
1: Well, in this day and age, there is no shortage of diverse voices out there, right? I mean, look, you know, just look at what the the kinds of and, and look, even, even the Motion Picture Academy didn't get you know all of the kinds of diversity out there, right? um uh that that you you could you could have you know regina didn't get nominated as a director i mean you know go down go down the list of things that you know so even beyond you know what we've seen so this is no longer i mean i guess one of the, the great things that are even though hollywood has a lot more to do to give voice you know to diverse creators there is a lot out there so this really yeah. cannot be a situation where um a an award slate is all white just because we couldn't find any diverse talent to um, to nominate, right? Yeah, as happened yeah, five, years, five years ago, yeah. right? That can't be, and so um, so that's that's not you know a reason. But you also have to recognize as an awards show, and this is what the HFPa needs to understand: your role. You can either be a force for change mm-hmm. to help lift up diverse voices to make sure you are giving equal weight. And holding screeners, you know, don't skip the screeners by black creators and just go to the screeners for white creators, which is something that has happened in the past. Um, You know, making sure that you're doing this. So you can be part of the force for change or you can be part of a system that only rewards white creators and only looks at that. And then you will be part of. What is basically an institutionally racist approach, right? You are institutionalizing racism when you do that. When you don't have, you know, a diverse group of people making those decisions, um, and that they are not accountable for making sure they look equally and fairly and across the board at all kinds of creative works that come to the to the fore, you know, not just. You know, not just the ones out of certain studios, for example, you know, look, if, if they were only, you know, the interesting analogy is if they were only looking at Warner Brothers, you know, productions, we'd all say that's a problem, right? You can't just look at Warner productions, you've got to yeah. look at Disney productions, you've got to look at indie productions, yeah. so why is it okay to only look at the creations of one type of person or one type of creator, right? And that's the accountability I think that we have to hold every part of the system. You know, look, the, awards, the award shows are just one cog in the system. Yeah. And every part of the system to really address these issues, every part of the system's gotta be held accountable and you know work for inclusion and justice. I love that point that it is
0: a choice. It's a conscious choice between And of course, I guess the first step is is recognizing the the bias, right? And holding one being willing to hold oneself accountable is like comes before actually holding yourself accountable. But then you choose: uh, are we are we participating or continuing to participate in in perpetuating the system, or are we looking to change it? And if they if then the question is like, how do we do that? There's also kind of no excuse for that because you have organizations like Times Up. Putting out lists of resources and like, I love that so much of your guys's work is here. Is a list of recommendations. Do with it what you will. Right. <laughs> the rest is ball is in your court kind of thing. That's great.
1: Well, I'm a um, firm believer. You know, as much as much as we do work in D.C. and public policy or elsewhere, you know, and there there is a role for, you know, you know, law changes. We're going to get there faster when companies really make the decision because you know, a company can decide to change the way it operates overnight. You know, if a company doesn't have paid leave, you can decide to give paid leave and it doesn't you don't have to wait for U.S. Congress, you know, to, you know, institute paid leave as a national policy. Mm -hmm. You know, you can do it right now. And, you know, we will really never get to the place we want to be, which is really fair, safe workplaces for everyone without company CEOs and leadership recognizing and owning that as a goal and Mm -hmm. making the changes within their own companies. The smart companies have surveyed their audiences, mm. and you know with, You know, if you're a smart company, you're surveying who is you know watching your movies and buying your products, and right. that those consumers, um, and it's your generation, Jack. I will tell you, you know, it's those sure. consumers are overwhelmingly saying we are paying attention to the values. Right. Of the companies that we're buying services from the companies that we're watching movies from. We are overwhelmingly looking at the values of the content that we're watching um, and Mm -hmm. and paying attention to and commenting on. And I think, you know, that as much as anything, you know, I'm I'm not I would love to believe that everybody's actually really believing in justice, (laughs) fairness. Some yes. of it's also they're recognizing their bottom lines which I'll take that too as a, as a sure. course for change but I think you really see the consuming public has changed and right. um, that as you know is a powerful influence um, I think on um, especially in the entertainment industry because so much of the stories that people want to hear you know in this pandemic moment, for example, you know hmm. they, they want to see, diverse voices and stories. Um, They want to have content that will help them process, you know, what's happening on the streets right now. Uh Um, And
0: Yeah, and I'm also just reminded, it seems like once a year, every year, some report comes out that says, Hollywood can't afford to continue ignoring black creators, for example. And here are the economic, here is the data to prove this. And every time it's treated like news, you know, every time it's (laughs) like, I thought well, there was because it
1: just election. was one, right? There was just yes. McKinsey report from Blacklight Collective came out. Yeah, deja vu reading it. Yeah. Right, but the number's big. It's ten billion dollars was their number, right? You know, yeah. it, which is probably not even the full amount. Um, yeah. so yeah. I, you know, I think, um, you know, if you're not motivated by anything else in the industry, be motivated by that.
0: Totally, it sort of comes to a question of like. Uh, Do the ends justify the means? Like, is it, (laughs) are good intentions important or does it just matter the results? I don't, I would prefer
1: to have both. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I prefer to have both, but sometimes you get to the good intentions and understanding by doing the work. I'll recognize that, right? Because I do think that if you're motivated by the 10 billion and that's where you start, that once you start doing the work and you start, having more diverse people around you right yeah. and hearing more diverse stories then the understanding comes from there love that
0: yeah it, sounds, it feels like the emerging theme here is like cosmetic changes are they don't cut it you need to go you need to dig deep and go to the source what is the what is the problem how do we solve it can we hold ourselves accountable and ask ourselves to solve it
1: yeah And and I I think we have to be a little humble too. And I do this as an advocate to realize, you know, some of us, and I've been at this work for a long time, right? So I was a single working mom as a Asian woman trying to be a corporate litigator. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time and, you know, we have to also recognize we don't know all the answers because a lot of the stuff we've been doing for a long time hasn't worked clearly because the numbers are still as paltry as they are. You know, we've got like what 7% of the fortune 500 CEOs that are women after Decades of talking about, you know, diversity in the boardroom and diversity in the C-suite. Um, yeah, so right. we got to admit that some of the things we've been doing—mentoring and affinity groups and, um, you know, hiring practices—you know, all of which are good, but they are mm-hmm. clearly insufficient. So one of the things I love at Times Up, and one of the reasons I took this job, is um, we have something called an impact lab to actually do research. Um, to do more cutting edge path-breaking research on what are new ways of looking at these issues? What are new tools? Um, We just did a really cool study um, that's just come out um, called, you know, from ideal worker to ideal workplace that actually took a look at behavioral design methods to see, you know, forget about doing attitude change. Let's just look at the design of how we make decisions in a workplace and see how that affects something like the gender pay gap that was what we used mm-hmm. as the example and you find first of all that you know there what they said in the study is look we have organized work around this model of called the ideal worker that's the way work has been organized for over a hundred years Obviously. and that worker is somebody who's always available to you at any hour you want you know is is devoted to the workplace you know and will do anything that the boss tells them to you know mm-hmm. and is loyal Kind of sounds like, gee, what a white man who's always available to, to you know, to, to, to yes. the workplace. So. But if we changed our model to be an ideal workplace, right, a workplace that's flexible, a workplace that's supportive, um, how how would we change things? You know, you would, you know, change the way you hired, right? And actually, you know, not ask people what their prior salary was, you know, coming in to not perpetuate equal pay. You would organize how you actually manage their work once they came in the door to make sure there was flexibility, right? You know, do Mm -hmm. things like if you're having a baby, regardless of you're a man or a woman, taking 12 weeks of paid leave as the default, rather than the thing that you have to ask for. So my expectation for you, Jack, if you're having a baby is you're taking 12 weeks, you have to make the exception to come say to me, I don't actually need 12 weeks, I only want six. But I, as a manager, I'm gonna get get judged on whether all Mm -hmm. my employees take the 12 weeks or not, instead of the reverse, right? So right now, the design is, it's the reverse. Even yeah. if you have 12 weeks on the books, you got to come ask for it. And if you ask for it, you sort of look like the person who's not really that serious yeah, because the person right. next to you only took a week after they had their baby and came right. back, right? I mean, that's like or a Or they're totally, a man and not having one. <laughs> exactly. It's a value neutral design feature that you can just change and yeah. make it the default boat. can have a huge impact, right? Mm on inclusion and on parity and how you approach things. And so I'm excited. I mean, I just think looking at these design features in a different mm-hmm. way, let's to your earlier point, this we don't even have to talk about what people's values are, right? Or go through unconscious bias training. Let's just mm-hmm. look at what are the kinds of things we want to design our pay pr- and promotion practices and mm-hmm. the way we do, you know, hiring and recruitment and just change the design of the system. Yeah. to represent more inclusive values than not and use those instead of trying to change people's minds. Because yeah. then their minds will change over time.
0: Mm. Yeah, and, and and just in general, going back to the drawing board when it's clear that progress is not being made and just kind of being open to new ideas and, and restructuring. Right, well,
1: and measuring it uh, in the first place because we don't even measure the statistics in the first place.
0: Yeah, that's also where the studies come in and data as as much as you can quantify these things, it's really important, yeah. Um, It's all about shedding a light. It's all about, yeah, Um, can I, I have to let you go soon. Thank you so much for everything you've given. This is all so wonderful. Um, But because this is recent and in the news, what are your thoughts on Scott Rudin? And that, and this, again, deja vu of a reported piece that breaks and suddenly multiple voices that were previously isolated are now slowly but surely banding together (laughs) to create another movement of sorts. I lived in New York for many years and I've always considered myself sort of adjacent. I'm a theater fan and I'm adjacent to the theater. And that whole community has been just really, it's been a really challenging time with this pandemic. And now to see us discussing a reopening and a going back to that industry it feels like what's on the table is is this idea that you and I are talking about. Are we restructuring things
1: or are we sticking to the status quo? Well, you know, the Scott Rudin allegations are interesting because it reveals another thing that's connected, um, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, it's not gendered specific necessarily bullying. Yes. It is bullying of everybody. Although, you know, there's some recent reporting that, not surprising to me, by the way, that someone like this would have treated female employees worse than the male employees, but he also treated the male employees terribly too. And um, abuse takes many forms, for sure. takes many forms. And that contributes to the overall toxic workplace. The reason I'm not surprised that he may have treated female employees worse is that once you're the equal opportunity bully over everybody, you have set the conditions for a toxic workplace that allows even worse harassment to happen mm-hmm. yeah. you know, in, in a discriminatory way, in addition. And it's not okay to just be the equal opportunity bully. You know, now I will tell you, interestingly, just my little soapbox about the way the law works. Uh, oh, yeah. you, know, you know, under federal employment law, <coughs> if you're charged with being a sexual harasser, the winning defense, Jack, is to say, oh, I don't just harass women, I harass everybody. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that is the winning defense. That is probably Scott Rudin's defense to any legal claim that might be brought against him for being discriminatory in some ways to say, I just was terrible to everyone, but it is not a thing that really creates the kind of workplaces that we're talking about. And so we have to call out, we have to call out bullies. There's no reason that you should to go to work and to make a career in the theater. You should have ashtrays thrown against your head or like food thrown at you or this series of things. Um, And apparently, you know, he not only abused you in the office, but he tried to keep you from getting jobs anywhere else, which is the kind of behavior, you know, you saw Harvey do, right? And um, the fear of
0: not having a career again is based in reality. That's not a fake made
1: up which is what keeps people silent. Let's be real, where does that come from? That's not just because he's a jerk, which he clearly is. But the, I will ruin your career is what I call a page out of the predator's playbook, right? That is the methodology which is used by predators, by assaulters to keep people silent is it's not just I'm screaming at you while you're in my office, but if you ever dare say anything or leave, I will ruin your career. And then they do it, right? Because the way you enforce it is people get, you get known for doing it because there are people out there who've been victimized by you. Um, And, you know, the thing that you will never know is the creative productions that never happened because Scott Rudin just destroyed somebody's career years ago, right? You know, or the young man whose brother was killed, you know, killed himself, which is so mm-hmm. horrible, such a horrible story, his twin brother. You know, the, the 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 people who left the theater, you know, altogether because they couldn't take it. You know, what what creative talent and voices did we lose yeah. from that, right? You know, from that behavior, you know, as, pe- as much as people will say, you know, he's an amazing producer, and he's done all you know this all this incredible work. Well, how much other incredible work didn't happen yes. because of his behavior, and how would the theater have benefited from that? Yeah. Um, and you, you know, you can't know, um, and and that's what is the tragedy of all of it. Yeah, progress is slow. It
0: feels like it's
1: always two steps
0: forward, one step back. Right.
1: Well, it is. But you know, the Scott Rudin thing is also kind of interesting in that I've been struck by the articles that have talked about how successful he was, right? And that does that success, you know, and some of these folks who are successful in cutthroat industries, right, have this reputation. And I think we have to start asking ourselves, you know, what is it about those industries and the way investors are operating, right? Or people who invest in theater productions, that they need that and unpack that too so that we don't create a system that requires you to be such a jerk, right? To get your theater production yeah. funded. Tina,
0: thank you so much. This is all so wonderful and uh, so refreshing for me to speak to a non-actor um, <laughs> about this stuff. Uh, we speak to actors and writers and directors and all that. And in fact, I'd love to ask you because we, just because we ask everyone, what is one performance that you think every artist should see, stage or screen? Or if you'd prefer, do you have a favorite actor? No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you well, probably well, I mean, know so many of them. I have so many of them. I'm really I am like, you know, I, I am a true fans, fan, you know, yeah. in, you know, in all these. So, you know, oh I don't I don't know if I could single out one, Jack. I will say that I I do I love the women's voices that are coming up, you know you know, Carrie Washington, of course, and the little fires everywhere was like amazing, you Mm -hmm. know, but then I go to the other stream too. And we are like a Marvel family in our household. And so, you know, we did all the marvels in chronological order, my daughter and I a couple months ago, once again, and, you know, Every I time I see, every time I see Brie Larson, I just want to stand up and shout, right? Yeah. You know, and just and just because it's it's such a great moment and character, you know, to mm-hmm. have that in a blockbuster film, you know, in some
0: ways. You named an on-screen superhero and an and an off-screen superhero. I mean, I, I love when an actor you admire is also an advocate and very vocal, and so mm-hmm. you get to cheer for them in that in that avenue Absolutely. too. I know Brie Larson was really instrumental in talking about the lack of diversity in critics for one she, thing. Absolutely. She,
1: she's been she's been great. And she's been a great part of Time's Up.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we spoke to Natalie Portman on this podcast a couple of years ago. She's yeah. another very vocal. We've spoken to um, Tracy Ellis Ross and I'm dying to get Reese Witherspoon or Eva Longoria. Yeah. I want to speak to Reese or Eva about Time's
1: Up and not about yeah. their
0: work. I think that would be so cool.
1: Well, everybody you named has just been wonderful. Part of, you know, parts of the times of community, part of our founding, part of our ongoing, but here's the other thing about times up, Jack is everybody has stayed with us over the course of the three years, right. Which doesn't always happen. And I'm, you know, really grateful to them. um, But also really proud of the work and that they've, you know, stuck with it and whether it's, and it's not all just about entertainment, you know, they will speak out about issues that involve, caregivers, right, and trying to make sure we get a fair wage, you know, for um, folks who are, you know, doing some of the hardest work that's out there.
0: Yeah, yeah, Um, thank you so much for all of your work, and congratulations on, like, it is so true that uh, to adapt to the times is so difficult to continue an organization like that to keep it going. It's such a feat, so thank you for all that you do.
1: Oh, Uh, no, my pleasure.
0: My pleasure. And um, do you have any? You've covered a lot, but do you have any parting words of wisdom for our, you know, early career actor, artist types?
1: Well, you know, my, you know, real, you know, is is, you know, the you can go to our website at mm-hmm. timesupnow.org. You can also just more easily, and if you text the word entertainment. To three zero six four four, that will get you linked to Times Up, and you can, you know, we'll link you to resources that you need as a young actor, Mm -hmm. or you know, and then keep you updated, you know, on what's happening. You know, we've got, you know, a great, you know, new initiative we just launched called We As Ourselves to support, you know, Black survivors. We've got, you know, a real initiative going on right now around caregiving. We will, you know, have even more work coming out on safety and entertainment and in other fields because it's an ongoing you know, effort and work. So, you know, please join us. Wonderful. Gosh, thank you so much, Tina. This is great. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Hello, Christine. i Torella. Hey, Jack. How are you? I'm so good. How are you?
2: Lovely! What a what a fantastic interview this week. Just really exciting. I've, I know we've been looking forward to Times Up coming and chatting to backstage, so mm-hmm. um, I know it's really exciting.
0: Yeah, as always, you and I are talking about on this podcast the evolving state of the industry and how things have cha- continued to change so rapidly and so dramatically. So constantly, kind of checking in and I think informing listeners as well as inspiring listeners about the ongoing state of the industry in today's episode that includes safety and parity. Yeah. Um and I would love to ask you because you are literally the expert, not just an expert, the expert on backstage and what backstage can do in these veins.
2: First of all, we have these amazing safeguards um for these you know the, the scams that are super obvious that or that have kind of buzzwords in them so mm. we protect our audience they don't even come to the site because they get blocked off and amazing. then we have um and then we have a full casting team so we have five editors and two client managers and they're across the globe as well as a, a, an amazing customer service team which i have to give a shout out to because they're working 24 7 mm. um and and we investigate every single casting call that comes onto to the site right so they you know um Last year, I think it was 100,000 casting calls that were on the site.
0: 100,000?
2: Yeah. Well, you know what? That's pre-pandemic. So pandemic, Mm. I think, was, of course, slightly less than that. But that was the numbers we were hitting in 2019. Um, mm. And and so it's it's imperative that someone has their eye on it, not just because we want it to like read cohesively, right? We check the breakdown language so that like it makes sense, right? Um, and that money makes sense and all that stuff. But then also just to like double check that things are 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 right for our actors, right? For the people that are on our mm. site, because we want to protect you, um, and you the the subscriber,
0: right? Uh, we also have updates. I don't think on this podcast we have discussed the expansion of gender options. Is that the correct language to use?
2: Yeah, gender identity expression. So gender identity we, ha- we haven't talked about this yet. Uh, it so is, exciting. Uh, uh, I I love that we're leading the way with this. I, yeah. I really, really think it's exciting. No other casting site is doing it. Yep. I look forward to people copying us. Please do. Totally. Right. But basically, we started this project um maybe about six months ago. And it was a combination of product team and um and, and of course casting, discussing with industry um about parody. And there are things that we can do, and there's things that we can help encourage our creators to think um be more inclusive in their casting and one of the roadblocks we found was that we had um, male and female and transgender as an option but that is not that doesn't cover full a full spectrum of gender identity right, right. so we know i have 23 different gender identities that mm-hmm. you can select right and and you can select multiple like maybe you identify as non-binary but also you know gender queer or Gender questioning, or you know, you want to be considered for roles that um, also are transgender. Mm -hmm. You you know, you are you are the actor. It is your identity. You get to decide, right? So, um, so I just think it's it's so beautiful. So you can select multiple, or you can select just a few, or just one, right? Because maybe you're two spirit, and that is who you are. And and what we're we want is that we help our creators move away from feeling like they have to um, uh, be very uh, boxed in with the identities that they are casting for. Yes. And I'll talk about that in a second. But just to kind of close out how how we hope we're supporting our actors is that you get to select a gender that you identify Mm. as and you can express that fully so that when someone's looking for authentic casting and they do need a gender non-conforming person or non-binary person and that like they can find you because you have put that on your profile and and you're easily find. Yep. Equally on the other side, for creators, we're trying to um, encourage them. Like, do you need gender, <laughs> right? Totally. Like, is ge- in what way is gender informing your story? Yeah, um, and can we? you know, can we either include more genders in that, mm-hmm. um, or or can we help you express that fully so yes. that you can be authentic and honest and and include everyone that you possibly can. And I find that exciting.
0: Yeah, like is limiting the gender of your characters in your breakdown preventing you from finding the best talent available, which is really what we're trying to do.
2: Yeah, amazing. And, and you know, look, casting is a kind of, down the road of production, right, in the fact that there's a lot of um, decisions that have been made uh, pre-pro and and story-wise, that yeah. I think that I would love to be having a much bigger conversation with writers and directors and producers mm. about being in being a gatekeeper um, of storytelling about you know stories that get greenlit and get told, so that maybe we can even have even more interesting conversations that we're seeing on in our breakdowns, mm-hmm. but while what we can control is how we help people find the right talent that they're looking for and and also you know people really being able to express themselves fully and 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 kind of correctly yeah. right on the site so so i am so proud of that you know oh, I, yeah. I know that that's kind of a tangent to times up but times up is all about being inclusive um and yeah. and parity in the business and this is just a small step that we've taken um to help with that
0: yeah These are conversations that Hollywood is increasingly having, and it feels like we are there providing the tools that, going forward, the industry needs to really make good on these promises that we're hearing of diversity and inclusion.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, like what we, so basically our default is any ethnicity, any gender, right, on your breakdown, And you our guys have down. to really go out of your way on backstage to like select things in particular. And of course you can, because that might be really informed by your script and of course yes. do that. But if we can, our, it's our little, it's our little protest, right? It's our way, of, <laughs> it's our way of moving that dial just a touch further yeah. in saying, can we, can we help encourage you, uh, to be more inclusive?
0: Awesome. That's, that's so lovely. And that so speaks to, uh, many of our efforts toward parity. in terms of safety. We should also touch on, of course, you mentioned scams. I'm going to link, uh, in the episode description and in the article that comes with this podcast episode to a backstage guide on how to deal with sexual harassment in the entertainment industry. A lot of our evergreen guides are full of resources and information but Christine is there anything you wanted to add in terms of Audition safety specifically. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, you know, first of all, guys, no legitimate casting call is ever going to ask you to, you know, be naked or they shouldn't really be asking you to be in your underwear or anything like that. And, mm. and you should really trust your instincts on um, whether or not something feels fishy or not, right? Regardless of whether they're asking you to take your clothes off. Um, yeah. So that's that's the first thing that I wanna say for all um, women and, and, and just people in general out there, just, you know, you have the right to say no in an audition. You know, you do not have to continue with a, a, an audition if you're feeling uncomfortable. And if someone's threatening you like, oh, you'll never work again in this business or these terrible things we've heard, you know, yes. these stories of what people say, you don't wanna work with those people anyway, yeah. <laughs> right? And then another thing that I want to highlight guys, you know, you're never you shouldn't be paying for auditions, right? You know, there's a difference. You you subscribe oh. to backstage because you we house all of your media, you get, you know, the magazine, there's so many things that we add there, but mm. you know, you should not be paying for auditions or being paid for your project to be con- you know, you'd be considered for something. That is a those are red flags. Yes. So, you know, just And the other element is if you're uncertain at any point about a project, that's what our customer service team is for. That's what our casting team is for. Like, you know, we investigate every single casting call that comes in, but we reinvestigate if we hear something's not right. Right. So never think, you know, oh, I I have to be silent. I'm not important. I'm a small fish in a big pond or anything Mm. like that. You know, like you guys have a lot of power. I would never want you to feel disempowered in the audition Mm. room
0: Yeah, and that's a such a great it's such a great fundamental point worth reiterating. This idea of like we are in the business of empowering actors, and that means preventing them from being disempowered. If and when you you feel one of those red flags or see one of those red flags, if this is through a backstage audition, yes, contact customer service. Um, Christine, what are the other avenues if this is not related to backstage and you are in an uncomfortable, or you feel that your safety has been compromised in some way? Where do you go? I mean, Time's Up is, of course, you can just go to timesup.org.
2: Yes, of course. If it is a union project, yeah, yeah. if it's SAG AFTRA or if it's Equity, they have um, hotlines for that. There um, also, there's Broadway for Racial Justice has a hotline also. If you think that you've been harassed, um, that I would recommend you investigate if, if you want to be anonymous about reporting something. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot to be said about kind of Googling a project um, that you're a little suspect about and kind of doing a little bit of work on that before you even go into the audition room, right? Like, everyone yeah. is google right? Yes, <laughs> um, it's you know, part google- of your homework anyway. Right, you know. um, So if something doesn't seem right, if this person, you know, it has no online presence and they say they're a producer or a director or whatever, like that should Mm -hmm. be a bit of a red flag. If you can't find them online, something's wrong. There's Effect, which is another um, group that's recently formed about um, pay parity, which are worth investigating further. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah, you know, we have a community board. Um, that you can you kind of write some you know write concerns or share notes mm-hmm. on on folks to in general you know share your knowledge <laughs> with with other people and of course the first place to go is um to our customer service because if it's if it's us right if it's, it's if it's a casting call you've seen yeah. with us you know we want to know
0: our customer service team is amazing. And they um,
2: really are. <laughs> yeah,
0: we, we should also, we will provide kind of the, the contact info for them as well, because that can be via email, that can be via phone. Um, you can also always slide into Backstage's DMs or tweet us. Literally,
2: um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: always advisable. <laughs> it's, it's about having conversations. It's about accountability, illuminating. It's about um, speaking up and coming together to to not keep secrets.
2: But thank goodness for the work that Time's Up and other people have done recently, you know, oh, yeah. over the last, um, you know, well, 2018 was when Time's Up really kind of launched, right?
0: Yes. We've made so much progress. Yeah. So
2: much progress. Yeah. And, and we just have to keep on marching forward.
0: Yeah. That is really encouraging. Yeah. The, the industry, again, is changing at such a rapid pace. Sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back, but that that's still one step forward.
2: <laughs> right. And I'm excited. Every time we have one of these conversations, it moves us forward, and 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 we can't go mm. back, right? We might, you know, again, we might there might be that one step back, but we always, once you have that knowledge, mm. you know, um, about pay parity or or just parity in general in the business and equality and inclusion in the business. We've had some very difficult conversations, some very much needed sit downs about um, the state of the industry recently, mm. um, and I think. We can only build back better by mm-hmm. doing this hard work right now.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Christine, um, and thank you for helping kind of cap off this great episode. I really hope that we can continue to make this one of our recurring uh, deep dive subjects that we can return to. Yes, uh, maybe continuing with Times Up stuff, or maybe continuing a further deep dive into how backstage is is helping working artists. It's a conversation that can, uh, as we're saying, continues to that needs to continue. And I know you and I are really excited to keep having that conversation. So
2: Yes. Yeah, a million percent.
0: And may I just say you I know listeners can't see you, but you just look like such a podcaster with your very fancy microphone. It feels <laughs> so like you to look the headphones, the microphone, the cat.
2: Right. We could be a you guys, we're gonna be a YouTube. That's what Jack and I have decided. Poor Jamie. Yeah, uh, oh poor we're Jimmy doing has video, to deal we're doing us? video
0: podcasts now. I'm yeah.
2: Down. <laughs> as
0: long as your cats are involved, I'm
2: down. <laughs> Are my unpredictable cats. Yeah, yeah. Sorry guys, if if there's noise that poor Jimmy can't take out because my cats are eating and scratching and doing everything around <laughs> me right now. <laughs> but they're co-producers,
0: man. They I are. Love that. They're
2: they're they're gonna get co-produced for credit I for this. Love that. <laughs> for, this I love that. for this one.
0: <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to say goodbye. And I know we have some lovely backstage casting notices to hear. And Christine, thank you so much for this week and for all segments in all weeks
2: thanks jack here are the casting calls for this week you know i love a theme this week it is high rollers all of these castings are paying well over a thousand dollars each for the shoots so uh, for our uk-based actors there is a high paying a particularly high paying project it will be an in-person shoot for a well-known music brand casting a campaign looking for talent who play instruments so in particular there's piano guitar and cello there are a few more there so if that's a skill that you guys have and you are in the UK preferably the London area they are looking for you There is a biotech print and video shoot happening in New York. It's actually Buffalo, New York, seeking multiple roles, open to see talent in different regions in the U.S., and all they need is a headshot and resume for this one, so it's really just a print and video shoot. Very nice buyout for that project. And finally, there is a casting for three roles, in a photo and video shoot for act mood The ad is conceptual, so no products are, sh- are shown and the talent must be able to present different emotions, which I kind of think sounds fascinating. It is a mid-May in-person shoot in New York City. Details on the site for all of the castings I've just mentioned today. And as always, we have hundreds of castings for every type of actor in every region worldwide. So head over to Backstage.com to check those out. That's all from me. Break a leg in all your upcoming auditions and have a beautiful week. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Rouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles.
1: Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins,
2: and of course, Casey Howe.